Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the ever-changing world of technology? Tech It Out can help make some sense of it all. Breaking down geek speak into street speak, technology columnist, author, and TV personality Mark Saltzman covers consumer technology each week for every listener. Mark tackles the latest news, reviews, and how-tos to help you understand what's hot, what's not, and why. Hey everyone, welcome to Tech It Out, a nationally syndicated radio show and podcast that you can listen to on demand wherever life takes you. But don't worry if you're more tech shy than tech savvy, as my goal is to make some sense of this new digital world that we're living in, in a language you can understand. We have a great show planned for you this hour. We're going to talk about flying cars on the back half of this program. They may be here closer than you think. We'll also talk about robotic lawnmowers in a moment and And for those small businesses listening right now, why Slack is taking over the world. All of this and much more coming up on Tech It Out. While it might not feel like it, spring sprung on March 20th. And sooner than you know it, many of us will be grudgingly pulling a lawnmower out of the shed or garage and painstakingly pushing that thing across the lawn. Let's face it, we could be doing so many other fun things now that the weather is warming. Well, what if I told you there was a robotic lawnmower that could do the deed for you? Automower is that product. It is a robotic lawnmower that doesn't even need gas, and it's quiet too. So you can have it cut your lawn for you while you do better things with your time. Joining us on the line to discuss is Steve Yulia. He's the product manager at Husqvarna. Welcome to the program, Steve. Great to be here. So let's talk Husqvarna. Before we talk about this Automower product, and I know there's a few of them in the family, tell us a bit about the company. Well, we established ourselves in Sweden in 1689, so we're, we've been around for a few years. Uh, <laughs> wow. We have dabbled in many products over the years, uh, but, but in every case, it was always to build a product of something that was needed for the people of the, the area or the country, and now it's of the world. 1689, so almost 400 years ago, you're saying the company's been around. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, we I just had a meeting the other day in the original blacksmith shop uh, over in Sweden. So the building still exists today. What was the first product, by the way? Um, we started making firearms back long ago. Um, and it's just revolved since then. Um, a lot of people remember the motorcycle days uh, or the sewing machine days or the wood-burning stoves or uh, microwave ovens. or I mean, it's just been uh, an unbelievable amount of products over the years. Wow. All right. And now automated lawnmowers. And that brings us to the automower <laughs> family. So tell us, what is automower? And we'll get into the model, the 315X specifically after that. Okay. So automower falls under the topic of robotic mowers, I guess. Um, and, and how it basically works, it's, it's a different concept than what we're familiar with today. And if the easiest way to explain this is that we're not selling you a lawn mower as much as we're selling you a mowed lawn. In any case, you would take out a, a, a typical gas lawnmower and you would go out on a Saturday morning and spend your, your you know, valuable time off and you'd go out there and you would mow the grass. In the case of robotics, or more specifically automower, you set the machine up as a one-time installation and the mower goes out periodically, generally speaking, a little bit every day, and it just always keeps your lawn mowed. Always. It never grows tall and then gets short. It's just always the same. 
So it, it, it kind of mulches the grass more than it does actually cut it, right? Like we're talking finely chopped uh, and it's electric, so it's quiet, which means it could even work at night. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. And and when you say mulching, and, and most people think mulching is you take a you know four inches of grass, you chop it up into clumps, and it lays it on top of your grass. This takes such a small fraction of grass that it quickly decomposes and adds that nitrogen right back to your soil. And again, for grass, nitrogen is the, is the thing you're looking for to get your grass to be lush and green. Sure thing. So it's a robotic or automatic lawnmower that will keep your grass nice and clean for you while you could be sitting in a lawn chair watching the action, if you like. <laughs> so a lot of people listening are probably thinking, well, how do I prevent it from not going on to my neighbor's lawn? So walk us through the setup. I think you use what's called a perimeter wire. Yes. Yeah, so when I mentioned a one-time installation, GPS these days has is, is come a long way. But again, it's not pinpoint accurate. In order to get pinpoint accuracy, we need to lay a guide wire around the outside of the property. Even at best, uh, the best GPSs could be two, three, four feet off. And I always say, well, that's the difference of having rose bushes and not having rose bushes. With a guide wire, it's an exact science. So now I know exactly where the mower is going to go and more importantly, where it's not going to go. Once we lay that wire in the ground, it's there many, 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 many years. And the mower just goes out and it knows when it gets close to the wire, it slows down. It goes over the wire just a little bit to make sure it trims, backs up, heads in a different direction. So totally random. So for some obstacles like rocks or garden gnomes, it'll move around it much like a Roomba floor vacuuming robot will move around an obstacle like a a chair leg. But for things like a flower bed, you would want to have that that guide wire around it so it doesn't go over it because it's so soft that it may think it's just part of the grass, right? Correct, yes. We're chatting with Steve Yulia. He's product manager at Husqvarna. We're talking about the automower family of automatic or robotic lawnmowers, including the new 315X, which we'll get to in a moment. What if you have a complicated lawn shape, Steve, or you've got steep slopes? Would this product not be for you? No, absolutely. It handles all kinds of shapes. Uh, it is very European-driven, where their where their yards or gardens, as they call them, are very, very intricate and and very difficult to mow. Anything in North America that we experience is nowhere near what they have over there. All right, so let's talk about the new 315X. Uh, this is a smaller and more affordable version than the 450X that I looked at last year, if I'm not mistaken. So, how big of a lawn could this lawnmower cut this automower so on a 315x we're saying 0.39 acres and then plus or minus 20 percent all right so almost a half an acre or so and then that's how big the guide wire is i'm assuming but also when it comes to the battery on the automower we we did say it's an electric powered uh, robotic lawnmower tell us what happens because this is really cool when it detects it's running low on battery Yeah, so once the battery gets to, let's say, around 20%, it needs to find its docking station or home. All right, so I think that's super cool. When it detects it's running low on battery, it will go to the base, charge itself up, and if you've instructed it to do so, presumably through the app, then it will continue the job 
which is really neat. And as you said, it's uh, it can be done day or night because it's quiet enough to be done at night. You wouldn't want to try that with a regular lawnmower. Uh, and you also hinted at its weatherproof design. But let's now talk about the app a little bit more. So you're in the comfort of your favorite chair. You've got a cold one and you want to you know watch this thing do its job. Uh, how easy is it? And what are some of the things you can do with the app, uh, whether you're at home or even not at home? Well, and that's the thing about the the app. On the 315X, we have a what we call the Connect or the full version of Connect. You can be anywhere in the world. Um, once you launch the app, um, you can uh, change the times of mowing. You can send it home. You can change the the height of the cut if you want to do that. Uh, you can do anything you want except for security settings. Even if someone were to walk by, let's say, and decide they want this for themselves and don't want to go buy one and they take this from your property, it's GPS mapped. It's as simple as you know, calling the local police department, showing them on the map where it is, give them the longitude and latitude, and they'll go and get your mower back for you. There's also an anti-theft alarm too, right, if someone tried to pick it up. Absolutely, yeah. Once it, and that's usually the first sign of, of not getting it stolen. As soon as they pick the thing up, the alarm goes off. They immediately drop it, and they you know take off. But uh, yes, it'll go off. You can have it go off as long as you want, or or just for a few seconds, whatever you know, whatever you decide you want it to do. Before we wrap up, Steve, on the three fifteen X and talk costs. Let's chat about this new voice support announcement the other week. That's pretty exciting. Starting this fall. Yes, as of September 1st, uh, we have, uh, we're working with uh, Google and Alexa, um, and you'll be able to uh, voice activate uh, from your home through your, for your device at the house to, to give the mower basic commands, send it home, send it out, uh, which has been pretty exciting. All right, so the idea is you can say the wake word, which is Alexa, followed by something like mow the lawn or Husqvarna, mow the lawn or automower, start your job. Well, we're, we're d- defining all that right now. Um, we're we're going to keep it fairly simple. So it'll be the basic things. You know, Alexa, come back home. Alexa, go out and mow. Um, you know, if the kids want to go out and play and, and you're busy doing something, just simply Alexa, send the mower home. Mower parks itself so the kids can go out and play in the yard and don't have to worry about the machine being out there. That's super cool, Steve. I have to tell you, that's amazing. That's like futuristic stuff. That's amazing. All right. So how much? much does the 315X automower cost and where could our listeners buy it? So the 315X is our dealer machine. Um, it is $19.99 uh, plus installation. Uh, just the labor, the installation materials will come with that price. It's just the labor to have it installed. It is possible to do it yourself. It is not that tricky. And if you go to Husfarna.com and, and search out dealer locator, you can find your automower dealer near you. All right, Husqvarna.com. That's H-U-S-Q-V-A-R-N-A. And we've been talking about the 315X automower. Steve Yulia from Husqvarna, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, No problem whatsoever. We'll be back shortly when we chat with Slack, one of the hottest tools for businesses. But first, a shout out to my sponsor. Tech It Out is brought to you by Asus, creating technology for today and tomorrow's smart life. Asus, for those in search of incredible. Visit asus.com slash US slash radio for more info. That's asus.com forward slash US forward slash radio. We'll be right back with more Tech It Out. Stay with us. Listen to Tech It Out whenever you want. Find the Tech It Out podcast at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to Tech It Out. It doesn't matter what kind of business you're in or the size of your company. No doubt by now you've heard of Slack, a very popular productivity boosting platform built to streamline ways that co-workers communicate and collaborate. Well, I had a chance to sit down with Michael Lopp, Slack's VP of Engineering, at a recent Slack event held in Toronto. Let's roll the interview. Thanks for your time, Michael. Great to be here. Thank you. So here we are at an event in a really hip part of Toronto called the Distillery District. What was this event all about? Yeah, this is a really getting our customers together and learning a little about what Slack is. And then I kind of walked through a day in the life of how I use Slack. And also we had some of our customers here just walking through their different use cases. So it was really super interesting. For those who are listening that have maybe heard of Slack but haven't yet used it, what is it exactly? It's, it's hard to describe, but the best way to think about it is a collaboration hub, which is everything that you're doing inside of work happening in a single application. The communication, the discussion, project management, people management. It's that one place where all of the work is happening. Regardless of the device you're on? Regardless of the device, because we know that you want a desktop application or Android or iPhone, and that's part of work is being able to have access to that information, read it, contribute to it. So any platform, we're platform neutral. And there was some talk tonight about why Slack is better than email. But for those who are listening, you're smiling. Uh, so, the, you know, that, that race to inbox zero, it's like this, you know, we never get there. Yeah. So why is Slack better? Because it's more real-time than turn-based? Yeah, I think the thing that happens, and we heard this from a lot of our customers, is it's, I think people want to be efficient. And they've been promised for years, like, that work is going to be better, the tools are going to get be better. And, and email has sort of stayed the same, and we've tried lots of different solutions, whether that's wikis or intranets or whatever. And what I think Slack hit on was just sort of a that sweet spot of ease of use, uh, fun to use, and it just, as you heard from our customers, it goes viral. They don't have to do any advertising because people just show up, they understand other people are there, and they can get work done faster. How do you change the mentality after decades of email? How do you get that, I don't know if it's the CTO or somebody from a big company saying, listen, this is a real productivity enhancer. Yeah, I think it's, it's a lot of our initial sort of deployments are people that are just choosing because there's a freemium version where you can just go and create a team. So a lot of the builders are just creating teams and they're getting that value. And the CIO and the CTO is starting to understand like there's hundreds if not thousands of people are there and they know there's something that they have to actually go and start to manage. But the thing that we're seeing in the last six months to a year is the buzz is so strong that even in companies where they don't necessarily have a big Slack presence, they now are hearing it enough. There's something going on here in terms of transforming their organizations that they want to hear the story. And I think we're, we're telling the story pretty well. At the risk of knocking your competitors, there are other real-time collaboration tools with a similar interface, probably influenced by Slack, such as like Cisco Spark, for example, or Microsoft uh, Skype. Uh, what would separate Slack from the other guys? It's um, The number one thing I say there is we, those companies that you referred to, first off, competition is good. It's how you know when you're winning. Um, but it's the thing is, we're only doing one thing. Slack is doing one thing, and that's Slack. All of the competitors are doing any number of things, and they're successful large businesses. This is all we worry about is how to make the best Slack possible, and that's our razor focus, and I think that's a competitive differentiator. 
with a company they may not have heard of or trust just yet compared to the likes of, a, say, a Microsoft uh, with privacy and security so top of mind these days. What safeguards are in place in order to protect companies' very and probably very valuable data? Yeah. So, obviously, we, we check all the boxes in terms of security. We're enterprise-grade. Whatever you want to do from DLP or, you know, um, ec uh, clients export, we check all of those boxes. That's just, that's, that's just uh, enterprise 101 is being able to do that. How easy is it to share media within Slack? For, is it all text-based or is there a lot? Can you do photos, videos, audio? It's just a really good question. I think one of the cool features we have is when you go and paste in a link to like a Google Doc or a Box uh, Doc, we actually do this thing called Unfurl, where you actually get a picture of the front page, which is a lot more useful than just a URL. So like a thumbnail? Like a thumbnail. When I wrote about Slack recently for a USA Today article on productivity tips, one of the things that I kept hearing from customers of yours was the customization add-ons or plugins. Yeah, so it's it's the platform, and we call it apps or integrations. And the thing is, different companies have different needs, right? There's a rich, vibrant app ecosystem. We have just thousands and thousands of developers working there. And the platform is such they can go build whatever workflow they need. Michael, you said on stage today one of your favorite Slack features. So what would that be for our, our listeners? I like to type. I like to use my hands. And it's called the Quick Switcher, and it's just a game changer. You just hit Command-K on a Mac, and it's kind of like, you know, um, it's kind of like in, in the, on the Mac, the um, Spotlight. And it's just a really easy way to jump around and get to different folks and different channels. And it just makes me fast, which is why I love Slack. All right, and finally, where can our listeners learn more about Slack? And what if they're not an enterprise-level company? They're just a small shop. Is that still relevant for them? Oh, that's just that's our bread and butter. The thing about Slack that I love is that it's it's enterprise software, but it has this consumer bent to it. So that small business, which, by the way, I hope in years is an enterprise company, can just start to use Slack right out of the gate. It's one of the reasons we're successful. It's so easy to get started. And if you want to learn more, go to slack.com, and that's a great place to start. Thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Have fun tonight. Thank you. Once again, that was Michael Lopp. He is Vice President of Engineering at Slack. When we return on Tech It Out, we're going to chat with Skyrunner. This is an FAA certified flying car company. And we're going to talk about what they do, as well as Uber's recent announcement to not only create flying taxis, but autonomously no pilot. Crazy, right? Well, it's coming. Hang tight for more Tech It Out. Want to follow Mark? Google him. Mark with a C and Saltzman with a Z. Breaking down geek speak into street speak. This is Tech It Out. Tech It Out with technology columnist, author, and TV personality, Mark Saltzman. In case you missed the news, Uber is planning to launch an autonomous drone flying taxi service in Los Angeles by 2020, having penned a deal with the U.S. space agency, NASA. Now, on paper, it sounds good, but industry experts, including Stuart Hamill, who's the founder and CEO of Skyrunner, an FAA-certified flying car, they say that Uber and others need to tackle what's referred to as the last mile issue before this future of public transit can take off, if you can pardon the pun. Joining us to elaborate is Stuart Hamill of Skyrunner. Welcome to the show, Stuart. 
Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Now, in your company's press release, it says, and I quote, solving complex issues such as traffic congestion and environmental pollution can become realistic only when the last mile connectivity is resolved. Can you explain mm-hmm. in, this, in this reference what last mile means? Yeah, the last mile is the last few hundred feet or so that's always been difficult or expensive to achieve. Uh, it's the last stretch of wire, fiber optic cable that brings, say, communication entertainment into to our homes. And that's always been the quiet secret about personal air transport for years. It typically gets us from one runway to runway, and that's not always where we want to go. And doorstep to doorstep, A to B is 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 the expected. Uh, it's not it's not just a luxury. Right, but that's not possible today because you would need vertical takeoff, right, for a flying. You know, it, the last mile is is not a function of of will. It's a function of safety and regulation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, flying and you know with uh, say helicopters or any you know gyrocopter, you know, landing in front of your house where there's dense population. Um, it's why airports are away from population and buildings. Sure, um, sure. So that's, and when you look at takeoff and landings, like where accidents happen, it's going to be mostly takeoff and landings. That's the bulk on a, on a bell curve. So you don't want to be in dense areas. So flying from, you know, landing at your home, um, that's going to be the shortest distance. It's going to get, you know, so flying cars are going to go A to B, but you're going to have to get picked up from B to go to C. Yeah, and it's fine as long as it's, it's a, it's a fair distance. So for example, if you want to go 10,000 miles, you probably opt for a jet, maybe a 777. If you're going to go 350 miles and you have a Cessna, your buddy has a Cessna, you might opt for the Cessna. You don't need a jet to go that short distance. And I think personal air transport, and I think what Uber uh, is doing right, there is going to be a niche um, between, say, 5 and 50 miles. Speed's not going to be. Safety's going to come first before speed. Um, so there is going to be a problem to solve. It's just not going to be air taxi from one block to the next block. Got it. So then, Stuart, what would be the answer to solving this last mile problem? The answer is going to come in, um, it's going to be in uh, adaptability. <clears throat> can, some, can someone fly from A to B and ground transport um, to that last mile? And how do you do that? Is it all built into one or are they separated? I, the, the thing that's unique about Skyrunner, <clears throat> it's not a problem we were trying to solve. We just wanted to be incredibly versatile. We wanted to have... Uh, we want to be the most adaptable uh, uh, adventure vehicle, right? So if you're going over complex terrain and you're driving, problem solved. If something too big gets in your way, you fly over it. Um, so we wanted to be able to just go wherever we wanted to go and reduce that friction. So if we land, in fact, in December, we did the very first demonstration where the first light sport aircraft or FA certified aircraft to ever demonstrate doorstep to doorstep um, delivery. And we picked a woman up from her house, drove um, to an open area, took off, flew over a river, over a bridge and landed in four minutes, four and a half minutes where the drive time was almost 20 and delivered to a doorstep. Um, but it was a large, it was a stately home and there was plenty of, of room and land. It wasn't a populated area. So it made it very, very easy for us to do taking off from a field and landing in another field and then driving to the doorstep. 
We're chatting with Stuart Hamill. He's the founder and CEO of Skyrunner, an FAA-certified flying car. Now, before I ask you about uh, Uber and some of these other companies that may have issues with air taxi uh, services, I'm looking at pictures of the Skyrunner right now, and it does very much look like a car first and not a small Mm -hmm. aircraft. Uh, But I'm Mm -hmm. also seeing lots of pictures of parachutes on the back. So can you explain, uh, before we continue, um, and perhaps we should have started (laughs) with this, uh, so explain to us how it works. I mean, let's say you're you're in your driveway. How do you take off? So, Skyrunner, if you're going to start from your home, um, we have kits to make them street legal. Most states will lie to make it street legal. Um, you just have to take it to the DMV. So, you check with your DMV to make sure these are the required components. Now, you don't want to go on the highway. But if you're just driving from your house to an open field, that's where you would begin. So, if your backyard is that big estate, you know, you've got five acres in your backyard, say unobstructed, that could be a good spot. Um, if it's, um, if it's an open pasture, a freshly cut hay field, it could be a private beach, it could be a, a grass runway. Um, you have a lot of options. I rarely go to an airport. Uh, I warm the engine up. Um, I, I do my walk around checklist, which is, um, very easy to do. We're a very simple aircraft, uh, uh Cessna, say 172 generally takes me about 20 minutes to do my external internal walk around checklist if I'm carrying a passenger. Um, and Skyrunner's um, more expedient. It takes me probably five minutes. Um, and then the warm up, it takes me two and a half minutes literally to get the wing laid out. I pull it from behind the second seat, so the passenger seat. I lay the bag on the ground, unzip it, pull the parachute out, spread it out, check my lines. I get in Skyrunner and and engage forward. The wing comes over your head in about 15 feet, um, full power up, and you're in the air in less than 500 feet. Wow. It's very, very simple. What makes Skyrunner so simple is it only has two input controls. That means up, down, and left, and right, pitch and roll, technically speaking. Most aircraft and helicopters have three, which is a yaw. You've seen the foot pedals where you control the the rudder. Um, That allows you to fly straight. We've We've solved a problem shortening, um, building something into our aircraft that compensates for rudder. So you're only dealing with left, right, up, down. We'll continue our chat with Skyrunner when we return. But I do want to thank my new sponsor, SanDisk, the makers of awesome micro SD cards for smartphones, full-size SD cards for high-end cameras, and USB flash drives for laptops. You know, when you shop for a memory card, you want to find one that has a lot of capacity to store a lot of files and fast read-write speeds as well. You want durability and longevity and value. SanDisk offers all of that. Love their products, and I'm honored that they've partnered with me on Tech It Out. So thank you. Head over to SanDisk.com for more info. We'll be right back with more Tech It Out. And Skyrunner, stay with us. Breaking down geek speak into street speak. Tech It Out, hosted by Mark Saltzman. Welcome back to Tech It Out. 
This show is brought to you by ASUS, creating technology for today and tomorrow's smart life. ASUS, for those in search of incredible. Visit asus.com slash US slash radio for more info. That's asus.com forward slash US forward slash radio. We're chatting with Stuart Hamill, founder and CEO of Skyrunner, an FAA certified flying car. Now, before the break, Stuart, you were saying it was easier to fly Skyrunner than other small aircraft, but you no doubt need some kind of pilot's license to fly one of these Skyrunner vehicles, no? Absolutely. Yeah, in light sport, you you need um, a light sport license. It takes 10 hours with a instructor, two hours solo. It takes about a week, um, but you have to... Um, you have to be 17 years old, have a valid U.S. driver's license, read and speak, write English, and then your flight training. How high can you go and how far can you go? We're restricted to 10,000 feet um, based on our, um, our category. But most powered parachute, most uh, paraplane operators are going to fly anywhere from 200 foot off the ground to 1,200 feet off the ground. Um, the highest I've been is maybe 83, 8,400 feet AGL. It's not particularly fun. Uh, you, you don't get a sense of movement or see much. It's more fun to be closer to the ground and fly low and slow. And um, that's that's the essence of flight. You know, it's that moment where it's it's almost it's almost exactly like your childhood dream of flight because you're not going fast enough to feel uncomfortable, um, but you feel the wind like being on a motorcycle, and everything just feels smooth. Um, it's like a fast, hot air balloon. So it, it's one of the most remarkable experiences as a pilot. I, you know, I picked this type of aircraft because it was supposed to be for my kids and, and my property in Colorado. It was not supposed to be a business. So my most precious possessions I was putting in the back, um, you know, I had to think what kind of aircraft do I want to build? And what I respected about the powered parachute was that it had the best safety record in aviation in 40 years. So, and there's a lot of reasons to it. Um, there's one, it's not flying very fast. You're, you know, we're flying at 40, around 40 miles an hour. Um, it's a pendulum effect. So it stabilizes itself. If, if there was any situation uh, where you felt out of control, you can drop all power, let go of the steering and it, it reconciles itself. So it always deploys uh, that parachute upon landing. And how much runway do you need to land? Uh, the same as taking off. Uh, you know, as long as you give yourself plenty of room, it's not so much the distance to take off, it's what your obstacles are. So if, you know, never take off towards, like, if a tree line is really close to you and it's windy, there's, there's this is part of training, but um, airflow, rotors that occur over treetops, buildings, you just want to make sure when you take off, you have an open place that if you ever need to land suddenly that you've, you're ahead of the aircraft. I got it. But clearing an obstacle, you know, if you had a thousand feet, if it, you know, from takeoff, you know, and, and your obstacles, 50 feet, you should be, you know, well, well above a 50 foot obstacle. Um, you just always want to give yourself a margin of safety. Got it. Based on your experience, Stuart, um, what problems would Uber and other companies likely face as they attempt to enter the air taxi space? I think the biggest problem is regulatory. The second is going to be cost. So um, I, I think Uber is going to do it. In fact, you know, I see Uber and I see Google doing this. It's, it's actually quite inspiring to us to watch. It, it's, you know, when you're pioneer, you're going to take arrows, and it's just part of it. But what they're doing is laying the groundwork. 
Um, so the regulatory is just going to be limited to where you can take off and land, right? So then you got to solve for that. Um, and then it's fine. What is the cost? You know, a lot of the cost is probably going to be in uh, – it's going to be – the wealthier or high-end business commuters, right? Right, because the money that's going in this to to get a return, um, it, it's probably gonna be more expensive, um, or it, it's going to be uh, how much savings? You know, what's the optimal distance? And in that optimal distance, how much of that in the A and B are you solving on time? From B to C, it may have been just as fast to to get. Um, a taxi right. or an yeah. Uber. Obviously, yeah. So d- that's when you have to find. You, I don't see these things going 150 miles. Possibly could. I could be wrong on that. I just think that the sweet spot is finding something l- further than what you would t- typically take a um, an Uber or a Lyft or a cab. Um, it would have to be a distance greater. It would not be going from you know one side of downtown Dallas to another side of downtown Dallas. I don't think. Uh, the time savings is going to be there. So with all this in mind, how realistic is Uber's timeline of launching this in 2020? Well, I think they're going to do it. Hmm. No, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it in Dallas. Um, Google's further along than anybody knows. Um, They're already doing, you know, doing these uh, in New Zealand. Um, At least they're doing the the trials over there. Um, I don't know if it's experimental, but you know, there's there's a lot. The technology today it has gotten so fast that now it's it's capable. Uh, some it, with technology, there's there's pros and cons. You just don't want when technology becomes autonomous. There was a sun flare that caused a problem with GPS or EMP. You know, the more of these things you get in the air, then you have people start looking differently of where they place emphasis on creating problems, hacking. Um, sure. You know, you want to be sure that there's a plan B and plan C. The nice thing, and, and I don't see us competing with them. I mean, unless we switched and went general aviation or added a general, general aviation product, I guess we could do that. I think our, we're about the experience. I mean, it, there's this exhilaration that happens in Skyrunner, and it's really hard to explain. But the liberation of taking off, I've landed on an island before, right, and goofed off, and, fl- and that's a moment. We'll wrap things up with Skyrunner, a flying car. When we return, stay with us. Follow Mark Saltzman on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Listen to Check It Out whenever you want. We're chatting with Stuart Hamill, founder and CEO of Skyrunner, an FAA certified flying car. You know, for a geek like me, this this gets me excited on two fronts. Um, one is is the the ability to fly, you know, and even urban. Uh, flight if it's again mm-hmm. uh, it's FAA certified for for that as well right um, mm-hmm. but also the autonomous side so if mm-hmm. if Uber and others are working on that and I don't know if you are uh, with Skyrunner mm-hmm. but but having a pilotless aircraft and trusting that technology these are a couple of hurdles for most people for me it's really right. cool uh, but so, <laughs> so I asked you if you thought Uber was ready but what about the general public I think um, as long as safety is forefront. Um, yeah, and I think that the public, everything takes a little time. You're going to have the early adopters, um, and we've sold, look, we've sold to early adopters that are billionaires, Silicon Valley t- tycoons, um, royalty, ranchers, um, owners of you know, pro 
on sports teams. I mean, it's yeah. there is this kind of want to be on the front end. And then you got the laggers that would still be buying rotary phones if they were available, right? <laughs> so there's a comfort factor. And I don't think it's for the mask. We weren't trying to go after the mask, but right now we're the cheapest flying car. And we're the only flying car in history you could buy in a dealership today. And I think that there, the neat thing about flying cars, it, well, and I'll, I'll speak to our product, is how versatile and modular it can be. Um, because we can do add-ons and do certifications. So we, we were looking at an autonomous piece for um, government, uh, app, we'll say, I'm going to call it government application broadly, um, in case someone was wounded, if they had a, a broken leg and your pilot was, let's say that they were passing out and you had an occupant, that it could land itself in a field. You push a button and like a drone, it goes and lands. So with Skyrunner, Stuart, tell us how much it costs for those who can afford it and uh, where we can learn more about the required training and, and how to achieve that. Yeah, so Skyrunner is, uh, the, the, the units we're selling are $154,000. Um, there are ways to do financing. Um, so we're just now getting into that. But so far, people have just paid you know cash for them. Um, for training, we have a syndicate of, of partners, people that are powered parachute certified flight instructors. Um, so based on where they live, uh, we align them to the person that's closest. We have people in Dallas. We have people in Phoenix, people in California, North and South California, uh, Florida, um, uh, uh, Georgia, uh, Chicago, I mean, uh, Illinois. So depending on where someone lives, there, there's actually there's dozens more than what I just rattled off. But that's where we've been sending people uh, for their training. It seems and the that- training is, is, is about maybe it's, you know, should be less than fifty five hundred dollars, anywhere between thirty five hundred and fifty five hundred, depending on what you're you're training. Cost doesn't sound like it's an obstacle, especially if you can afford a hundred and fifty thousand dollar vehicle uh, to right. just spend five thousand on certification, which is a one time thing. It doesn't sound like a, a crazy number. I'm sure there's insurance implications and all that, but you're saying mm-hmm. that because it's FAA certified, you could fly this theoretically in in any city in the states. You just there's some some limitations with light sport because light sport is is a new um, category. It came around in 2004, but it wasn't uh, one of commercial where you're flying a lot of people. It was for recreation and fun, and that was its design, its intent. Um, but when you're flying, uh, anytime you're flying, like I mentioned, you can fly 98, 99% of the airspace. You just want to be careful you're not flying um, over a, a populated place that you could, you know, if you had to land that you're going to be landing in a populated place. You always want to have, be, stay, and that's part of the training is staying in front of your aircraft, whether general aviation or light sport, that you have always have a, a picked out or a glide, you know your glide path, you can pick out an open area and land there safely. So yeah, most of the airspace you can fly in. You know, you just don't want, most big airports like LAX and DFW, those are class, what's considered class Bravo, um, DFW, um, JFK. So it's, it's not, you don't want to be there anyway. You got big jets going in there. It's more fun to be on the countryside on the outer skirts. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah. So it's, but it does give you a lot of flexibility. Heck, I've, I've flown to the office and landed here to come to work. That's cool. You know, when you're taking off from a, from a pasture and then you're landing at work because our campus is big, um, yeah, I need to do more often because it's just, it's kind of cool. <laughs> All right, Stuart. So what's the best website to learn more about Skyrunner? You can learn more about us at www.flyskyrunner.com. All right. Stuart Hamill, founder and CEO of Skyrunner. Thank you very much for your time. Very exciting stuff.
Oh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed that chat. Nice guy, huh? And I got to get me one of those flying cars. <laughs> wow. Hey, thanks for listening to Tech It Out, everyone. This show is brought to you by ASUS, creating technology for today and tomorrow's smart life. ASUS, for those in search of incredible. Visit asus.com slash US slash radio for more info. That's A-S-U-S forward slash US forward slash radio. Have a great rest of your weekend, everyone. We'll speak to you next time on Tech It Out. Ciao for now. Uh